This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. was pretty pretty bad the raptors get absolutely shellacked by the new york knicks 126 to 100 and of course as masai said as taco and nacho battle channel mentions patience is important with this team and with this roster everybody deserves time to grow but that was a stinker you know you didn't get some of the star performances you were expecting or hoping for in the garden you didn't get a team-wide concept of buying in collectively stepping up to help out on the glass, nothing like that. And you're facing a team in the New York Knicks who has been just extremely, extremely good since OG Ananobi joined them, a team that is extremely affecting on defense, and a team that is big, bruising, powerful, and willing to go to battle in the paint for their own misses, for their own rebounds, and on both ends of the floor. 126 to 100. The Raptors lose this game. They get 38 rebounds. <laughs> the Knicks had 70. And I know that obviously is going to happen when, you know, the Raptors put up, like, what did they shoot in this game? 41%, 32% from three. And their half-court offensive rating in this game, I think, was 80, which is not good. That's, that's very, very low percentile relative to the rest of the NBA. And the Knicks, they play... A fantastic brand of basketball it is smash mouth it's not as pretty as some people like but it's also what makes them kind of like a hard out a tough out in the playoffs why they found success is like they will go to battle they'll make you earn the margins every single game and they'll give themselves a shot to make shots on one end of the floor you know julius randall 16 boards in this game 10 assists seven turnovers as well he's throwing fastballs all over the court I can't believe how hard he passes the ball. Jalen Brunson scores 38 points on 23 shots. Get this, and this is crazy. Precious Achua scored twice as many points as Scotty Barnes in the return, the matchup. He was 9 of 10 from the field. He had 18 and 11 in this game. Scotty is obviously a major star of the future. Scotty is the future of the Raptors, the face of the franchise. It's just an off night for him. You know, he still, I think he started out the game quite well in the first quarter. He was driving a lot of the Raptors' success, but the Knicks have a lot of size, not only to put on him initially, but the Knicks, I've talked about this, you know, quite a few times on this channel, talking about how the Knicks succeed defensively with their personnel and how the Raptors could look to emulate some of that. The Knicks really playing like solid, staying in their shape defensively, gapping, making sure they help at the nail, recovering out to like the rest of the court. At, in a team concept, not necessarily five guys on a string, but achieving it sometimes. And if it's not five guys on a string, five guys who care, even if it's a little messy, they're big, they cover ground, they're going to make you earn it. 
And that's what they did. And basically the Raptors had two sources of offense in this game. Emmanuel quickly, some clever playmaking early on, and R.J. Barrett kind of knifing through the lane in transition and pseudo-transition. Everything else was an absolute, like, they were drudging through it. It was really hard for them to achieve any offensive success. Turnovers galore. I just, like, it's a tough game when the other team is big, cares a lot defensively, and has a lot of defensive talent. Having Julius Randle there who meets the big and cares thing and has some defensive talent. Having OG sitting right there to funnel guys to Hartenstein. Even in this game, Precious, I thought, was really strong defensively. You have Josh Hart. Grimes, who wasn't super impressive in this game defensively, but typically can give you a bit of pop. It's just they play in their scheme. They play to it. They play within it. They work hard in it. And the Raptors, you know, they had a tough time scoring against the Bulls. They had a really easy time scoring against the Heat. The Heat didn't look like they came to play so much in that game. And the Raptors had their best three-point shooting game of the season. How does this stuff look when that's not happening, right? It wasn't their best shooting night as far as like three-pointers, 11 to 34, 32%. But that's far from their worst. And, you know, against a team like the Knicks, that's going to make you earn everything in the paint. That's going to make you shoot over top of them. It's it's tough, man. Uh, The Raptors just didn't bring enough in this game. And getting out-rebounded 70-38 is absolutely inexcusable for even if Jakob Pertl is out, how do you make that work, right? And Jonte Porter, like, this was the game where it was the toughest possible for him. This was his his worst game, I think, as as a Raptor. And again, I'll say this because it's what he deserves. He's on a two-way contract. He is not supposed to be the savior of the front court. He's a stopgap until Jakob comes back. Until the Raptors get their starting center, who they traded a first-round pick for, a second for, and like what might end up being a really good first-round pick for, and a guy they paid $20 million a year, it's like they're just not going to have as much depth in the front court as they want until he's back because they've invested a big portion of this salary cap in that position and he's not out there right now so Jante Porter goes in and he's overmatched and he like works his butt off and it's just not enough so that's kind of how it shakes out uh Shay the dollars asks does it seem like the defensive workload is too much for Scotty to contribute on offense um I don't think so is Scotty's defensive workload has been high, I but I don't think uh, I don't think that it's so high that he will score nine points on fourteen shots. You know, like, and he's also like Scotty's a young guy, right? He's he's twenty two, and um, it's it's okay for him to struggle. Certainly, it's a tough night. He, he was awesome last game. Truly fantastic. Um, like, unbelievable. He's not as consistent. Like, just because he's going to be a star doesn't mean he's consistently a star every single night. That's, that's what young players do, is figuring out what their baseline is and how they can achieve that night in and the night out as they kind of toggle different responsibilities. And Scotty is taking on some different types of defensive responsibilities, but he was like... 
a hell of a defender at the start of the season, right? Had a lot of defensive responsibility at the start of the season and was also playing fantastic on offense. Nobody questioned it at that point, right? Nobody was like, oh, is it too much? It was like, oh, he's giving you all of it. This is what stars do. And instead of thinking like, oh, he's tired, it's not all that kind of stuff. I think Scotty is still limited at creating shots in the half court. And that's okay. He's a third year wing who has made tremendous steps this year as a player. Masai at the presser said he didn't expect that, right? He like Scotty is much better now than Masai expected. Masai said that. Scotty has made a huge step. It doesn't mean he's infallible and can only fail if he's tired. Scotty like has limitations to his game that defenses can pick on, especially in a half court environment, half court context. And the Knicks are a tremendous half court defense who have size to throw at him, secondary size to throw at him in the lane, and he struggled against that. That's that's okay. He's not he's not everything offensively right now. He isn't just like a guy you plug in and you immediately get tremendous half court offense. That's not Scotty Barnes right now. But he has been, to this point in the season, the best player on the Raptors. And he's fantastic at 22. You sign him to the max extension. You keep trying to build around him. You take patience. That's what it is. Patience for him not to, like, develop, I don't know, the stamina to be good on offense and defense at the same time. I don't think that's it. Patience for him to develop out his game so that when the game slows down and he's seeing more size, and he's getting gapped in the lane, he knows what he wants to do. He knows how he wants to set up the offense to you know, provide for his teammates, and he can also do things with his own skill set that drags defenses into more compromised positions. Tonight, not his strong suit. And they had a tremendous amount of defensive talent and size to throw at him to make that more complicated on his end of things. So just a rough night. There's going to be these rough nights. Um, I know that the one game against the Clippers, they scored a lot of points without like Pascal. I know the game against the Heat, they scored a lot of points without Pascal. But Pascal was a huge part of the Raptors offense. And there's more to suggest that Pascal was like really important to the offense than there is to say that like the Raptors won't suffer any losses on offense because he's not there anymore, right? Um, Scotty has to take on more defensive attention now. So do, like, it goes down. Like, Emmanuel gets more defensive attention now. RJ gets more defensive attention now. Everybody has a little bit more. Everybody's bumped up on the scouting report, and everybody gets a little bit better defender. And so it's just kind of, and there's a lot of good defenders on the Knicks play in concept, who work hard for their coach, who do all that kind of stuff. So tough night for Scotty. He still has stardom right there in front of him, and he reaches out and grabs it every other night. That's what young players do. It's it's pretty rare that a 22-year-old, um, it's pretty rare that a 22-year-old is able to just immediately, especially a wing player, is just immediately able to take a team and make it fantastic on offense. It doesn't happen very often. It's like you think of guys who are like top 20 players of all time or something like that. Um, Phoenix Play Z says, Samson, what would be the optimistic take on Scotty? 0.71 points per possession on ISOs. Um, the optimistic take would be that that stat is only when he shoots or draws a foul or turns the ball over. So that doesn't, that stat, the points per possession won't include his passing. 
And part of Scotty's isos are him getting doubled, especially more often now, and making reads as he draws the, the defense in. So his points per possession are actually higher. You're probably pulling that stat from NBA.com, which is a limited look. It's only the shot-making aspect of it. Um, and then on top of that, Pascal has been drawing the best wing defender for Scotty's whole career. Like, I, I can't really think of when or, or often that Scotty was seeing the best wing defender. So he's getting used to kind of a new class of defender over the course of more games. You're going to see a hit on some of the points per possession stuff. And the optimistic take is like numbers aren't everything. Um, you have to look for identifiers. You have to look for things that um, that you want to see, like things that are good. You, you want to look for identifiers that predict future success. And so Scotty having like great touch in the middle of the lane is a predictor of future success. Scotty being able to like slowly work downhill and get into the paint, a predictor of future success. Scotty being able to pass over the top of doubles, not turn the ball over that much, a predictor of future success. So all that stuff, those are really good. His handle development is a work in progress. The pull-up jumper as it comes, a work in progress. All that kind of stuff. That's uh that's what it is. Yeah. Phoenix plays E. The response, it's like with Scotty, to me, the handle needs to be priority number one. I don't know if you agree, but that's my take. Yeah, Scotty works on his handle all the time. He it's slowly improving. So it's just year three. He's twenty-two. So yeah, that's um I not everything is done at twenty-two. Not everything is done in year three, you know? That's uh that's kind of the situation that it is. So as far as that goes, patience with Scotty. It's not too big a deal. Um, we can talk a little bit. Uh, Sarthak says, uh, unrelated, but were you at Union Wednesday? I wasn't sure if it was you. I was. Um, I was at Union because I was there for a Raptors game. So uh, that's kind of like why well, I always go through Union because I arrived there and then I walked to the arena. But anyway, um, kind of like we'll take the position of like OG pretty funny i think that his first time he got the ball he went downhill and rj barrett drew a charge on him that's like that's pretty good i think that's pretty funny um og was awesome defensively like incredibly incredibly impactful on that end and had like a lot of the the gaffes offensively that we've seen from him as a raptor it was like just seeing OG exactly as he is on another team. And get this, we're also looking at a guy that you get to see him in the context of a good team and how much better it looks when, you know, the team defense works really well around him, how fantastic it is. So you get to see him thriving. And I think most people have positive feelings towards OG. So nobody really minded that. And then, of course, like, you know, Malachi, he gets like two minutes, Cashes a three. That's nice. Precious, as I said, 18 and 11. Still had three turnovers. Although one was credited to him. That was definitely uh, Julius Randle's fault. He threw like a missile 88 miles per hour off the backboard. It went through uh, Precious's hands. And Precious, I thought, like had a couple really nice rolls to the rim. His weak side help at the rim on the defensive side was really impressive. And also on top of that, like, had some nice like offensive stuff, getting on the offensive glass. He and Chris Boucher, the Bash Bros, actually met each other under the rim. That was pretty fun. And uh, yeah, so 
the X Raptors, I think they uh they all had like a a pretty fun, pretty fun performance. And I think it's also cool, like Emmanuel Quickly and R.J. Barrett were the best Raptors tonight. Like I know I know Gary, like he scored the ball pretty well. He and that and that's good. But Emmanuel having twelve and eleven, it's his first double double of the season. I thought this was one of his best live dribble playmaking games over the course of the year. And then also on top of that is like, well, more than anything, being able to do it in the half court. Because a lot of things, as far as like, as far as Emmanuel, he gets a lot more assists lately because he's running more actions and there's some easy reads he's making. But also on top of that, we're talking about a guy who has a lot of hit ahead passes, which is good. But those are hit ahead passes and they're not as valuable typically as like half court creation where you bend the defense because that's something if you can bend the defense in half court, then that's something you can do every time you walk up the floor mostly. Or you can create a defensive response that has to create counters, might open up gaps for your teammates, all that kind of stuff. And so quickly taking steps as a playmaker, I thought he was good tonight. Still minus 26, still wasn't able to provide much point of attack defense, which, you know is something that the Raptors, I, I think, are going to struggle with over the course of the rest of this season. You know, Bruce Brown didn't give them much on that end. Dennis Schroeder didn't give them much on that end. Quickly didn't give them much on that end. And Scotty, I think, has had some possessions where he's that guy. But also, you know, it hasn't gone super, super well. And then RJ, I think, was their their most consistent offensive operator. And because he, you know, I had a tweet, I said he hunts the rim like somebody looking for their long lost lover. He, he just has, he is insatiable as far as like his pursuit of it. And I think it's such a great quality to have to always be trying to get to the rim while also knowing that like there are counters as a playmaker. The four assists kind of embody that. And he continues to give them, I think, a lot of plus on the glass, especially in a, a game where they get out rebounded by what, 32? which is crazy. They got they got out-rebounded by almost as much as the number of rebounds they grabbed tonight, which is nuts. It's absolutely crazy. Um, RJ has been helping out on the glass a ton, and his drives to the rim continue to fuel an offense to, to a tremendous degree. He, he's been, I think, if you wait for the, like, the intersection of efficiency and then also like points per game, once Pascal got traded, RJ has since the OG trade, since RJ came to the Raptors, he's been the most efficient point scorer, the most efficient scorer on the Raptors. He, he's done a really good job. And he's he's not like hijacking possessions. He's not taking too much. He's he's taking it where he can get it. Mixal Kowal says Grady 50% from three. This is a fun one. I have been, you know, people have, if, if people have been watching for a while, they know I like Grady's approach to the game a lot. Um, I really like how he reads the floor. I think he has a really, really good, um, really good feel for the game. He makes a lot of reads that I find great. He makes a lot of cuts that I find great. He shapes to the ball super well. Um, we've just been waiting for the jumper to fall. That's that's it, because basically nothing can go right for Grady unless the jumper falls. Because all of the uh, you know extra stuff, it's oh shoot. Has anybody commented that I have the wrong mic input? Wow. Guys. I hope this sounds better. Okay. Okay. I can't believe I... I think I'm turning red. That's embarrassing. Thank you, 1800 Lunatic, for letting me know. You guys let me talk. 
with a bad mic? Didn't you notice that the, the quality was way worse? Wow. Sorry. My apologies, everybody. Um, but anyway, we've been waiting for Grady to shoot the ball well because a lot of his extra stuff, that ancillary stuff, is built out from the gravity he has as a shooter. That's that's just what it was. And so on top of that, you have a lot of this like intermediary playmaking. You have a lot of his cutting. You have all this kind of stuff that helps his teammates, a lot of this stuff that will help him create as a guy with gravity, a guy who can make connective reads as a playmaker. But then on top of that, none of that really multiplies if he's not able to make jumpers. That's kind of how it shakes out, right? And so having him shoot the ball pretty well over the last handful of games, you know, during the Heat game, I think I tweeted like the Dick era is here. Obviously, Scotty's era, but it's fun to tweet, you know, Grady's name out for obvious reasons. And Grady coming in with like 11 points in 16 minutes, being able to cash triples, particularly corner triples, which he didn't shoot well at college. Um, pretty impressive. I like that a lot. Um, people who have watched all season know I'm I'm a fan of Grady's game. I had like really good conversations with him uh, at Summer League. I, I've enjoyed talking to him mostly at the start of the season because he's been like up and down from the 905. And because I didn't go to like only went to one game across two months just because of what had happened in November. And so I didn't really see much Grady, but I'm excited to talk to him, you know, when I see him next because it's kind of turning around for him. And he has obviously put on weight. He's in the midst of overhauling his body, kind of getting ready for the process of being like an NBA player in terms of like bulk, in terms of conditioning. For shooters, conditioning is extremely important. This is something I talked to Grady about at Summer League. We talked about the dimensions of the NBA court, him getting used to how much more running he's been doing. And when you get tired, this is the Steve Nash thing from way back when, make a bunch of free throws at the end of practice because that's when you're the most tired. After however many hours of like working your body, go and make free throws because you have to make free throws at the end of the game when you're tired. Grady, I think, is a guy who has suffered from a little bit that conditioning aspect at the NBA level, which has made his mechanics more sloppy. So that's kind of been a thing. That's been that's been a thing that's progressing. And I'm very happy to see it progress because I am rooting for Grady and I, I like what he brings. Um, Joe Tully says Scotty three point percentage falling off a cliff. I think, I think it's only at 37% right now, which it's been hanging around 38% for like a month. I think it's mostly like at 1% sure. But I think Scotty, if he ended up at like 35% this year, I think that it would not obviously be good, like as good as it is now, but as far as. 35%, I mean, that's to jump from 29, which he was at, to 35, I think is a huge jump anyway. And the fact that he takes a lot of them above the break. People who shoot predominantly above the break three-pointers are going to typically shoot uh, a lower percentage. But that doesn't mean they're a worse shooter than somebody who shoots from the corners a lot and has a higher percentage. You know, like... Pascal Siakam was rising as a three-point shooter and Scotty was maybe dipping a little bit, but the the shot diet was way different as far as like three-pointers went. Pascal was taking a whole bunch of corner threes and shooting like 47% um, 
as far as like from the corners over over the course of the season. So, you know, framing his shot diet more from the corners, getting him more looks there was beneficial, all that kind of stuff. Um, as far as like Phoenix plays, he says, Samson, I'll be devil's advocate. We said that about Pascal's three as well. He came scorching hot and it got progressively worse in 2020. I think consistency should be valued. Yeah, I. there's always exceptions to rules and there's always rules. And I don't think Pascal having that happen makes me feel that it's any more likely or less likely that that Scotty's will be happening that way. Like Scotty, just because Pascal's thing happened on the Raptors doesn't mean Scotty's is likely to play out the same way. Also, like Pascal had, he tore his labrum. He had to have surgery on his shooting arm, which, you know, obviously created a unique aspect to his shooting over time. He also had like the whole bubble sequence, which created, you know, I think maybe a mental block for him early on around those times. So there's just like, there's too much going on with specific mechanics about players and their shot diets that like, I don't think Pascal becomes the rule for Scotty to to fall off a cliff or anything. When I look at Scotty and he's able to keep his, you know, mechanics simplified, when he's able to keep the ball high on his pickup, have a quicker transfer and keep his legs, you know, as part of it, I think that it's a really strong thing. Um you're you're also saying that consistency should be valued. Yes, totally, but on top of that, um I think that like shooters always have like ups and downs. Um, Elliot O'Dwyer says, can you answer my question? Who's better, Kevin Durant or LeBron James? Uh, I'm not going to answer your question, but I'm going to ask you, what do you think this is? Like, you just, like, come in and say, like, who's better, Kevin Durant or LeBron James? It's LeBron, by the way. Unless you're, t- uh, like, if it's all time, it's LeBron. Right now, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't considered those type of, like, head-to-head. But I like that you feel like, you're owed an answer to that question. That's kind of awesome. You're like, hey, who's better, LeBron or KD? And I just need to know. This is like good trolling. I really like that. That's actually, okay, so this is a bit. I'm, I've am i gone from being like, what the hell is happening? To now I appreciate the bit. Elliot, um, very funny. Thank you. On, on the night when OG makes his return, well, not his return, but plays the Raptors, the most famous memester on the Raptors over the past however many years, who was constantly doing comedy bits. I'll take this as an ode to OG. Very funny. And well played, Elliot. Um, on top of that, we talked about RJ and quickly talking about Grady. I guess like Gary, it's been nice to see him hitting more shots lately. And also there's like been a little bit more pop off the dribble. That's something nice too. But I'm waiting to see more so like where these consistent offensive looks are coming from, right? I'm waiting to see how the shape of the offense looks post Pascal. It looked fantastic against the Heat. The Heat were the Heat just didn't have much for the Raptors that night. You know, some people, um, some people talk about, I guess, uh, some people talk about, you know, Toronto being a city where a lot of guys party, and there's kind of like some stuff about that, maybe. But the Heat didn't have it that night, and the Raptors just like ran roughshod over them. Them's the breaks. Um, I'm waiting to see kind of what the shape of the offense as guys, you know, take a little bit rolls a little bit higher up in the hierarchy, how all that kind of stuff goes. And as far as the shape of it, the hierarchy of it, is it Scotty at the top with touches, which it seemed like it was going to be? Does it end up kind of shifting towards 
quickly at the top of touches, but Scotty at the top of shots. Who are you expecting to bend the defense more often? And also, I'm really interested to see in this era without Pascal, how often Scotty is taking shots inside the arc, particularly at the rim, instead of taking three-point shots. Because, you know, it's it's no stranger that when Pascal's on the floor, three-point shots are usually easier for opponents because he drags guys a lot of different places, creates open looks on the perimeter especially. But also, he kind of dictates that some people play on the perimeter to try and open up driving lanes for him. So as he's no longer there, I wonder, you know, Scotty assumes some of those packages that used to be run for Pascal. He assumes that role and says, okay, I'm going to be playing here. I'm going to be more of a driving force. Pascal was a really, really vaunted player in the paint. He scored in the paint a ton. He scored on drives a ton as a Raptor just over the course of his career. And this season, how much of that does Scotty assume? How much does RJ assume? And in this game, I think it's just a tough night against the Knicks. The Knicks have been fantastic at kind of suppressing those shots, especially from wings, especially from, you know, guards. And, you know, Scotty missed some shots that sometimes he does make. He missed like this crazy sky hook, man. It was like absolutely insane um, on the, the right baseline. And I had never seen him go that high before. I really wanted it to go in. And I think it's just like it was a really tough matchup for Scotty. And he's taking more defensive attention than like ever before. And he didn't shoot it as well as sometimes he does. But I'm looking for over this next handful of games before I think the the All-Star break, what Scotty's shot diet looks like, where he's taking his looks from. And also, I think free throw rate is kind of like an interesting thing to look at. So I guess we'll see. It should be interesting, though, because his role changes as as Pascal leaves, obviously. Solstice99 says, Samson, what are we lacking? How do we win games like this? Uh, you don't win this game. <laughs> I hate to say it. <laughs> you, you, you don't win this game because the Knicks are a really, really good team, and the Raptors just aren't. And it would take the Raptors having one of their best games of the season to beat this version of the Knicks. And the Raptors would just have to play like out of their minds. And the Knicks probably would have to play like not their best to get there. The Knicks are a very, very good team. Jalen Brunson is extremely hard to guard at the point of attack. He's so shifty. Even if a wing is on him, he's going to get that step. He doesn't let wings get back into the play. He protects with his body. He's able to shift guys and he's able to get like kiss it off the glass. He's so good at manipulating in the middle of the floor. Randall, if you're not strong on the back line he will punch through it like he has a sweep through he like he's so strong if you are stunting he's going to challenge your stunts and get all the way to the rim even if he misses he's going to be able to grab his own miss he's going to put pressure all game and I know he's a sloppy playmaker but he's also a playmaker like he can spray the ball around the court he can make a lot of different passes some of those passes are turnovers but He's able to make those types of plays. They have the best wing defender in the NBA in OG Ananobi, who didn't hit any threes tonight, but typically can. They have Mitchell Robinson, who didn't play tonight, and Isaiah Hartenstein, who represent a very, very strong center tandem. And they play great defense. And they have guys like Josh Hart and DiVincenzo. DiVincenzo giving like 17 points tonight, right? He, he outscored Gary. He outscored everyone on the Raptors except RJ. And that's DiVincenzo. So, it, it, they're a really impressive team. So how do the Raptors beat these Knicks? 
you wait a couple years and you see how good Scotty is and you see how good the rest of the team is and you, and you try again, I think. The Knicks are really, really good. Like, the Raptors didn't play their best game, but they lost by 26 for a reason. They got absolutely hammered. And the Knicks played, like, a great game plan. I don't know what the Raptors could have done. Like, sure, they could compete. They could try a little harder. Maybe they lose by, like, between 8 to 16 points or something like that. But the Knicks are a better team. That's just how this shakes out. It's them's the breaks. There's there's no other way to frame it. This this next team is very very strong. OG has played what like ten or eleven games with them. I'm pretty sure they've won his minutes by like two hundred points since he arrived. So he just he he fit perfectly into their defense. Emmanuel quickly and RJ Barrett fit perfectly into the future of what the Raptors want to be. And I really appreciate that it's a win-win trade. The Knicks are the better team immediately. And they're a very good team. So the Raptors just, you don't really beat these Knicks. And if you do, it's because you had like a fantastic night and they didn't. And um, yeah, that's that's kind of how it how it looks. Um, Phoenix Play Z asks, would you be looking to liquidate Bruce at the deadline? Liquidate? Good Lord. Um, Bruce... There's been conversations about Bruce. It happened immediately. Um, like people were calling immediately because as Masai said at the presser, you know, he didn't expect this team to be extremely good right away. You know, he, he's talking about patience the whole time. Darko, you know, in his presser later that day, kind of talked about patience as well and all that kind of stuff. So, Masai is a guy who's talking about, you know, we need patience. He doesn't expect to be good. Bruce Brown is a guy who makes, you know, $22 million a year, obviously fits on a contender. He was, you know, a tremendous glue guy on the Nuggets, the championship winner last season, making $22 million a year with a team option. That could be something that is, you know, kind of attractive. Like he he is a player. He is a man, could be very attractive to um, to a couple franchises who have reached out to the Raptors to engage in talks. So that is a thing that's happening. Um, would I be looking to do it? I don't know. It's, uh, I guess it depends on what people, how bad people want Bruce to some degree. Cause I like, I like Bruce. I like Bruce like years and years ago. Um, when, when Darko was doing his uh, study on Bruce's cutting, a lot of the blog boys were as well. And I think Bruce is like a great guy. I think that the players on the Raptors would benefit by playing with with Bruce. And so you just kind of have to weigh like the benefits of having like a good guy around the team who plays good basketball versus, you know, what you could add down the line based on what people want to trade for. Um, that's kind of how that works out. That That's, I don't know. It, it's all dependent on, let's say, the market but yeah i don't know uh i don't know what would happen with him really but there's there's a few players that the raptors are you know engaged in talks about because you know pascal and og aren't the only players that other teams have been interested in dennis will get interest gary will get interest chris will get interest bruce will get interest like Otto may very well get interest if a team believes he can be healthy for a playoff run that's like, that's a lot of guys on a team that are going to garner interest. So the Raptors, do I think they're done? 
I don't think they're done moving. And if anybody's interested about whether they're done or not, and typically the smaller deals do get made at the trade deadline, February 6th, downtown Toronto at Rivoli, 7 p.m. Myself and Lewis are hosting. We have a slew of popular Raptors talkers, basketball talkers around uh, Toronto that will be attending as panelists. Um, Last year, we sold it out. You can go to raptorsrepublic.com right now. It'll give a pop-up and probably prompt you to buy a ticket. You can do so if you want to come talk hoops um, just before the trade deadline. Get all that kind of stuff. Coco says the plug, LOL. Certainly. McSaul says um, smooth transition. Thank you. Uh, I did my best in that one. So I think people should come hang out. As I said last time, people who came last year, um, I met them. I remember the conversations we had, not just necessarily about basketball, but nice to meet people who read the work and listen to the work and um, just talk hoops, talk life with those people. So hell yeah, that's uh, that's the situation. If you want to come listen to trade speculation from myself and a host of other talkers, that's uh, that's how it's going to shake out. I'm really interested to see how this team looks over the next little while. You know, next game is Memphis. And that's like a that's a, a big game swing because the Raptors are a team who, you know, obviously they have a top six protected pick. If they finish with the sixth worst record, it means they have a 45 percent chance to retain their pick. And there's no shot at the top the top five. The Raptors just won't lose enough games to be one of the five worst teams in the NBA. No shot. The sixth, the two teams battling for the sixth is, of course, the Memphis Grizzlies and the Toronto Raptors, who play on Monday. So we'll see what happens there. But I feel like that's mostly a podcast. You know, there's not a lot to talk about in this game. The Raptors, they, they underperformed but they also played a team that's much better than them. Um, maybe the soft stuff. Uh, OG was smiling and happy, hanging out with everybody. You got some cute like hugs and hangouts from Precious and Scotty and OG and all those guys. You know, they shared like quotes about how much they were looking forward to one another. When I talked to Scotty the other day and was asking him if he had anything, you know, planned for if he scored a basket on OG, he, he said he didn't have anything planned. Um, we didn't really get to see that either. They went at each other, but neither scored, which was kind of funny. Um, I wonder how that felt for them. So yeah, hostile planet says, well, I thought there was no shot they'd have at sixth pick lol, And now it's kind of possible. And, end quote, yeah, this Raptors team has underperformed expectations to be sure. And, you know, they were initially, you know, putrid offensively. And then they became putrid defensively. And now they're playing games where they've been bad at both. And so we'll see what happens. They'll they'll find a foothold, an identity of some sort. And, you know, we'll see, we'll see what that is. And the, the identity has to be more than just like Scotty is the future. Scotty is the future, of course. And he will dictate ceiling and all that kind of stuff. And that's, of course, really important. But... They have to be able to like build out an identity around that and how guys look and how they want to play. And they just, yeah, it's, um, we'll see. Joe Tully says much better team when Toronto no longer has Siakam. Uh, I guess they've been one and two since the trade. I guess we'll see what happens. I'm not like, I don't know. 
people people get so um caught up on the arguing about players stuff when pascal was in toronto i spent enough time trying to like contextualize what he did well or didn't do well the same way that tonight i'm contextualizing scotty's performance that a lot of people feel like they wanted it to be better trying to contextualize it in a basketball sense um people of course have agendas and stuff like that about the future siakam lists um scotty lists but i just want to mostly talk about the team that's here now um joe tully says i mean new york knicks much better (laughs) i mean yeah the new york knicks were much better than them certainly um like they're much better than the raptors when they don't have siakam well they're better than the raptors if siakam was there but I, i get what you're saying now but i launched into you know, a conversation on that kind of thing. Um, mostly, I just want to talk about the team that's here now because people, God, people hold grudges about like this kind of stuff. And, you know, as a public facing person, people talk about you with this kind of stuff. So I just want to cover basketball mostly, which is kind of uh, what I'm eager to do. Um, the Raptors underperformed. The Knicks are very, very impressive. And you lose this game, you know. Not much else to say in this one. Looking forward to a better performance from Scotty, certainly. Looking forward to like how they operate against the Grizzlies. There's a whole bunch of stuff waiting there. And the battle for like, let's say, the sixth pick. Um, somebody asked if uh if the pick conveys like the pick, yeah, the Raptors pick, I don't think it dissolves into seconds for the for the Spurs or anything. I think it just like if it doesn't convey one year. It'll just convey the next. And the expectation, I'm sure, is not that the Raptors will be top six every year for the foreseeable future. Um, Coco says, anyone curious about how the picks work? Blake has a spreadsheet. Blake always has a, a spreadsheet. Um, so, yeah. Okay. One one more question from Phoenix Play Z. Okay. Quote. Okay, I have a GM question for you. If you're the Toronto Raptors and you think you're going to bottom out again next year, would you consider unprotecting this current pick? Um, I don't know. I don't think they bought him out next year. I like they, I think it's in the Raptors best interest to like this year, however they want to move Masai. It seemed like he didn't plan. Well, he, he basically came out and said that he didn't plan on using three first rounders. Well, two, well, three or two first rounders this season with the 31st or 32nd pick. And I don't really know, but I think it makes sense for the Raptors to be try and like win games again next season. You just, you can't mess around, man. You don't, like everyone talks about the treadmill in the middle, but everyone should be way more worried about the treadmill at the bottom. OKC turned it around really, really quickly, but they turned it around really, really quickly because of Shea being like an MVP level player. And and Chet is obviously fantastic. And like, but a lot of their best players weren't picked at the very top of the draft. You know? And the Raptors, I think like it would be a huge, huge problem. Is that if they're like bad again next year, that's where's Scotty going after his years are up? Or where is Scotty 
in the middle of his max extension asking to go to something like that right if the raptors can't win while he's here if you're not as an, a front office trying to win then like what are you doing really and i understand you know people look at the the top of the draft and say well we need to get that star well if scotty is that star then you know you don't you have him and you start building and teams are able to do that like miami they got jimmy butler and jimmy is that quality of star they got bam what 13th overall and they had those two guys and so there it was so they started building and kept trying to build and they've been able to hang out at the top like make deep playoff runs they've been to the finals all this kind of stuff constantly and if scotty is that guy which everyone hopes he is then you don't need to hang around at the top of the draft waiting on like your generational prospect you don't want to do that because you have a guy who's already entering like a max extension who's saying like hey I'm on a max. I've played my rookie deal already. I'm trying to win. We haven't won in a few years. What's going on? Why are we bottoming out? So I I don't think it makes sense for the Raptors to like bottom out, bottom out, bottom out. Phoenix Play Z says, yes, but you need supporting pieces around Scotty. You certainly do, but you have, you know, I guess uh, a surplus of picks. Currently, you have um Scott, you have Scotty, you have Quickly, you have RJ, you have Grady Dick. You know, Phoenix Play Z, you say Jalen Williams and Chet were lottery picks. Yes, Jalen was picked, you know, what, two picks ahead of Grady? They're supposed to hit on Grady. Grady could be the comparable pick right there, right? So I just, it's a slippery slope to hang out at the bottom for too long. Like, it really is a slippery slope, especially as a guy's going on a max extension. Because you Grady is turning it around and getting better currently I'm really happy he's been able to like be more impactful over the past handful of games like that I I think that's awesome but I cautioned everybody before the season you know you can't expect rookies to win you games or even provide like positive minutes even if that rookie goes on to become very good it's tough to even expect it of sophomores it's tough to even expect it of third year players you can expect it on teams like the Nuggets who have like Jokic, who is like an additive who makes everybody better because of how good he is and how he simplifies the game. You can expect rookies to kind of step in and give you impact there. But as far as like actually expecting like the first three years of a guy you just drafted career to be like meaningful and give you a ton of impact, ah, it's going to be tough. And do you want to be... Do you want those guys to be who you're surrounding Scotty with as he's looking to win? There's a reason the Raptors were looking, were jumped at the idea of Emmanuel Quickly and RJ Barrett. And I think that's a, a very good indicator of what they're going to try and do going forward. Also with Masai saying he obviously plans to trade some of the picks they currently have. So, yeah, that's, that's kind of how I feel about that. You don't want to hang around at the bottom too much you know uh phoenix plays he says look at jjj jordan hawkins etc rookies can make an impact i think jordan hawkins is like he's scoring i'm pretty sure he's not making a positive impact though like i I'd, i the last time i looked at his numbers was maybe like two weeks ago but i like i think as far as like winning games and winning plays i think jordan hawkins is probably like i don't know if they can expect stuff and he's also an older rookie too but yeah, Jordan Hawkins, I liked a lot. 
I didn't like him as much as Grady, just because of Grady's overall four game. But, um, you know, Hawkes is a winning player. Yep, Hawkes totally. They could get a Hawkes this year, though, and that wouldn't be bottoming out. They could get, like, Hawkes based on where the picks are, maybe from the Indiana pick this year. So, yeah, Ion says Hawkins is pretty bad on defense. I think he's been a negative this year. And I don't mean that to say, like, Hawkins is a negative or to be, like, too down on him. Uh, like, I think Hawkins is playing extremely well for a rookie, but that qualifier is important because it's hard to be a rookie who wins minutes. Phoenix plays East says, I won't judge anything for the next two years. I'm down to chill. Scotty will judge it, though. That's like, that's the thing. Scotty will. If there's nothing happening with these Raptors for two years, that's going to be tough. It would be tough for any player. So patience is, of course, important. Masai will be more patient than Scotty will be. I'm certain of it. And they'll have to, like, bridge that gap. We'll see, though. It's, uh, I don't think it makes sense to me to, like, you know, hang out. We'll see. Phoenix Plays E says we have Scotty under control for five years, though. Team control is a very interesting, like, I get what you're saying. It's a very interesting concept in today's NBA, in a star-driven NBA. Team control is not what it once was. Um, and that's, like, just how it is. It just isn't what it once was. So that's kind of, like, my feeling on that. But if you, you can play it that way if you want, but the, the best teams, I don't think, view or make decisions based on that. The best teams make decisions based on, like, helping guys out, probably. Because, um, like, your, you, your front office and your star player have to kind of be in lockstep as far as, like, how much help is coming, you know, how, is, how they're being supported on the court. And all that kind of stuff. And if you don't do that, then usually there's like friction, certainly. Um, yeah. I just, it's, it's not so much like, you know, I know you're saying like, you really think Scotty would request a trade out? A lot of players would and do. It's not Scotty being like, oh, a whiner. But if Scotty is like, makes a leap to all star, all NBA level, and the team is just like, we have no interest in winning for the next two seasons. I think that is like, that's offensive to the player. I think that is the front office doing a disservice to a player. 100%. Like, to me, that seems like a disservice to the player. You, you, it's his career. He wants to win. He wants to do all this kind of stuff. Um, and you say it's for Scotty's best interest. Get talent around you. Players don't look at it as like you can only get talent in the draft. Players, what superstar has ever said, hey, use those draft picks to get me a co-star? I don't think that's ever happened. I think players say trade for guys who I like and who are good. That's what I think happens, right? That's kind of how it goes. So, yeah. I think if Scotty was happy to just like sit as the team bottomed out, that would be more the exception than the rule. That's that's kind of what I think. But I don't know. This is a, this is a lot of speculation. Um, I'll say right now, 
I don't know Scotty's intentions. Just that's me speculating from a team building. And, you know, everyone's saying SGA was happy with the OKC tank. He didn't mind. That's not true. He was on the team. Like, yes, but they weren't as bad as people thought for as long as people thought. I mean, like over the past, since OKC started tanking, the Raptors and OKC are separated by one playoff appearance, right? So, I mean, and he's second in the West, whereas Scotty, by the time he's on his max extension, won't be second in the East or anything. He'll be on his however many years in a row, if you're botting out the next two years, of just, like, not winning. So, yeah. I don't know. And you say they tanked for two years, which they did, but, like, Shea got traded to OKC as part of the tank. Scotty didn't get traded anywhere as part of the tank. They would start tanking in his fourth year or like th third and a half year. It's just different. They're, they're like not one-to-one. -one. But I'll say this. I think it would be disrespectful. Me. I'm not speaking for Scotty. I think it would be disrespectful to Scotty if the Raptors just tank. I think it would be disrespectful to Scotty. That's what I think, quite frankly. But that's... That's my situation. And there, and Masai said he doesn't expect to use all these draft picks. Masai obviously doesn't want to. But, like, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't think that the Shea and Scotty situations are com comparable, like, in, in the slightest, to be quite honest. There's a lot of differences between the two. Um, but, yeah. That's kind of it. I think the Raptors are going to try and win next season. They're going to try and build a team that plays well with Scotty. That maybe they're not super good, but bottoming out, maybe tough. Maybe tough. Yeah. Anyway, that's a, a nice sidebar for anybody who's listening. Um, yeah, that feels like a podcast. To anybody who enjoyed this, um, you know, like 97, 100 people in chat right now. Like the video before we get out of here. It helps promote it to other people. It's good for the algorithm. All that kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, that's kind of good. If you want to subscribe to the website, go do that at raptorsofhope.com. It's how uh, myself and the other writers are supported. And of course, um, subscribe to the YouTube page. All, all that good stuff, all that junk. To the people listening on the podcast app, um, thank you for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed this on your walk or going to sleep or wherever the hell you listen to it. Um, thanks everybody. A little late night podcast, but not as late as they often have been. And Phoenix plays E, thank you very much specifically to you for engaging in like a unique, you know, idea about team building currently in the NBA. So yeah, C4C says, Samson, gotta say you make these losses much more palatable. That's awesome. That's actually a really great compliment. Thank you for saying that. Um, I'm glad you you enjoy listening, and I hope that everyone who is currently enjoys it as well. Okay. Thank you to everybody, and whether you got into this in the morning or at night, have a blessed day, and goodbye.